0: morning. Can we do better? Good morning. morning. All right, glad to have you guys at Grace. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, is where we're going to be hanging out this morning. If you have, uh, if you want to grab a pew Bible, we've got several pew Bibles in front of you. And uh, if you turn in your pew Bible, we will be on page 539 539, if you're in your pew Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, if not, and uh, if you don't have access to either of those, uh, the text should be up on the screen. We have been in the midst of a series called The Idol Factory, uh, taken from John Calvin's uh, famous quote uh, that, uh, indeed, the human heart is a factory of idols. And so behind us, we have our Idol Factory, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had talked about the idol of children. Uh, This week, The Idol Factory is still producing, and we are talking about the idol of pleasure, The Idol of Pleasure. And so uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Page 539 in your pew Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. The Idol Factory part 5. The Idol of Pleasure pleasure and we're going to learn hopefully quite a bit uh, from a man that you may or may not be familiar with by the name of Solomon who penned uh, this wonderful Old Testament wisdom book. And so uh, I want to begin echoing some of the questions that our video introduced to you. I don't know if any of the uh, questions uh, hit home with you or stirred anything in you, but they certainly did with me. I can identify with that because I very much like the speaker on the video from, a, from the sense from, from I can remember as a child, I have had this inward hunger for something. I'll call it satisfaction, meaning, purpose, pleasure, if you will. And much like was described on the video, I searched for it, I searched for it, I searched for significance and satisfaction in the world that I lived in said do it in this and this and this and I tried a whole bunch of those things and I found myself feeling empty. So what about you? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked any of those questions? I want you to be honest. Have you ever asked any of those questions? Have you ever sought satisfaction? I'm not just talking about temporary. I'm talking about lasting satisfaction that doesn't go away, but never, never found it, never being satisfied. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase before, uh, and, and so I'll, I'll say a bit of it, and then I want you to tell it back to me. Money, they say money can't buy Happiness Bunny, money, money can 't buy happiness. Uh, one pundit by the name of T- Tim Krell says this regarding that little statement that money can 't buy happiness. He says uh, regarding that, "All I want, all I want is a chance to prove that money can 't buy happiness. All I want is a chance to prove that money cannot buy happiness. What about you? Would you agree with him? Would you agree that, yeah, maybe money doesn 't buy happiness, but I 'd sure like to try. I'd sure like to try it out. I'd sure like to not take somebody else's advice. I would sure like to experience that on my own. Well, this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to hear kind of what is a self-testimony of a man by the name of Solomon. Uh, Solomon was a, a king of Israel. He was the son of King David. And Israel, the nation of Israel under Solomon, reached its peak, at least economically. It was the richest. Uh, it was... Uh, It has ever had ever been under King Solomon, and what Solomon is is going to do is he's going to take the sentiments of Tim Krell and he's going to try it out because Tim Krell says, "I just want a chance, I just want an opportunity to prove that money doesn't buy happiness," and Solomon is going to say. I'm going, to t- I'm, going to t- I'm going to do that. I am going to do this grand experiment with my life and find out if money and other pleasures indeed find, uh, give us happiness by s- pleasure satisfaction. And so let's do this. We're going to begin, and we're going to read the text as a whole, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And we're going to hear from the lips of a man who did try to buy happiness. He did this amazing Experiment to see where pleasure comes from. I think his experiment will be surprising, and I think that his conclusion will be shocking. So let's just read uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Solomon says, I said to myself, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness, and what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit in them. I made uh, reservoirs uh, to water, groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. The shocking conclusion. Yet... When I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. The reading of God's holy word. This morning we're going to basically break up our sermon into two parts. So if you like structure, uh, it's a simple one this morning. Uh, First of all, we're going to see from chapter two in the book of Ecclesiastes, the pursuit of the idol of pleasure. And Solomon fleshes it out in all of its grandeur, if you will, of what it looks like to pursue in my life and in your life, the idol of pleasure. And then, our second part is actually going to be found in chapter 12, and so we'll skip ahead to the end of the book, chapter 12, and then we'll see the prescription, the prescription to the idol of pleasure, that is, how do we fix it? How, what's, the, what's the cure if we have this bent towards the idol of pleasure? And so let's, let's jump in again and look at some of the finer points of Solomon's pursuit of the idol of pleasure in chapter 2 he begins in verse 1 and he basically says i'm going to test out this motto the motto is if it feels good what do it okay everyone in our culture knows that if it feels good do it and most of the time we or the people in our culture whether we want to admit it or not we live according to that motto if it feels good then do it it's okay if it makes you feel good Feel free, and Solomon is basically gonna, basically going to say, "I'm going to adopt that motto for myself. If it feels good to me, if it gives me pleasure, then I'm going to try it." And he 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 introduces this grand experiment. Uh, look again, uh, he says, "Come now, I will test I will test you with pleasure." Notice the word test. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. And so Solomon is not just going on this hedonistic binge that has no point. He's trying an experiment. He says, I'm going to try to live for the idol of pleasure and see how it works for me. It's an intentional experiment. A test is what he calls it. And then notice what he does in verse 10. Notice that it is a test that is a feel-good, if it feels good, do it, uh, then it's that kind of a test. Verse 10, notice, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Just let that sink in for a little bit. I look at it, it looks good, I do it. I get it, I experiment it. He did not say no to himself. I denied myself nothing. I refused my heart no pleasure. And so this is a grand experiment. Think of it in these terms, if you will. And so let's say that somebody comes to you, let's say from Harvard, a prestigious school, and uh, it's um, it's their philosophy department and they would like to do an experiment with you. You've been chosen as the subject of this grand experiment, okay? Imagine with me. They come to you and they say, you are the lucky man or woman. I have a great offer for you today. Here's the experiment. Let's just say for a month because that's a good time frame. For a month, here is what you can do. Number one, You can make your body feel good as much as you want, as often as you want, in whatever means you want all the time. You can eat what you want. You can drink what you want. You can have somebody rub your feet if you want. You can have somebody rub your back if you want. You can sit in the shade if you want. You can get a tan if you want. Whatever makes you feel good. Whatever, Whatever makes your body feel good, you can do it. And not only that, but if there's a particular project, a particular achievement that you haven't gained in this world, we're going to give you the resources and the hall pass to do it. And so let's say you've been wanting to build uh, that second home in California. Here's the money. You can do it. You can build that. Let's say there's that project out in the yard that you've been putting off. You can do it. Anything you want to build, anything you want to produce with your hands, it's yours. It's yours. And it gets better, by the way. At this point, you're like, sign me up. (laughs) Where's the contract, right? Um, Not only that, but you have unlimited resources. That is, let's say you have the resources of of a Donald Trump. Name all the rich guys you want. Let's say you have unlimited resources. So for a month, limited time only, you can buy anything. Boats, trucks, houses, beach houses. Yachts? Restaurants? Anything. Anything you want to buy, anything you want to have, anything you want to own, it's yours. It's yours. It's getting better. They say, in addition to that, you can experience any form of entertainment that you want. So what do you like? You like to watch TV? You can watch it 24-7. Uh, you like live music? Bring in U2 if you want U2 or your Christian variety or whatever it is. You want live music? We'll bring in live music. You want to watch movies all day long? We will get you an IMAX in your backyard and you can watch IMAX all day long. You like sports? Not only are we going to get you a big screen, thanks guys for doing that, by the way, I love the big screen, <laughs> and I watch sports on it, if you, not only can you watch sports on the big screen, you can own Yankee Stadium. Just go, just sit there. Any kind of entertainment you can ever possibly dream of, it's yours. And finally, they say, any kind of romance that you want, any kind of romantic pleasure, any kind of sensuality that, that might make your body feel good, anything, anything, nothing is off limits. So let's just say they came to you and they said, here's the contract, try it out for a month, and at the end of the month, we're going to ask you all of these tests and we're going to quiz you, and we're going to find out that made you truly satisfied. Takers? Any takers? I know, we're all, you're like, yeah, (laughs) looking around. (laughs) You don't have to say it. But I bet most people in our world, and maybe some of us, um, we're like, yeah, sure. That sounds good. That is essentially, and maybe in a, you know, higher kind of a way, that's what Solomon did. That is exactly the kind of test that Solomon went on. He's the king. He can do anything he wants. And so, before we get into the details of that a little bit and what his experiment entailed, what kind of pleasures, if you will, what kind of idols of pleasures he experienced, what do you think was the outcome what do you think Solomon said at the end of his experiment? What do you think someone, Average Joe, you, signed that contract? What would you say at the end of that? What would you say? This is what Solomon said. I'll, re, I'll reiterate it. Everything was meaningless. Everything was meaningless. Vanity might be your translation. A chasing after the wind, this Hebrew word meaningless, describes a vapor or a mist. You know, like when you boil water, it's a vapor or a mist, or when it's cold outside and you go... Oh and there's a vapor and a mist, it's there for a moment, it's fleeting, it's there but then it's not, it's momentarily satisfying, and that's what he says that kind of experiment will lead to, momentary satisfaction that just goes away, it just goes away, he uses a vivid image here, chasing after the wind, did you notice the image of the trash bag and how elusive it was, chasing after the wind, have you ever tried to chase the wind, no, because it's, it's futile. It's useless. You can't chase after the wind because you can't catch it. Essentially, uh, he says, it's a vivid image of frustrated futility. I had, a, I had a dog. Actually, I still kind of do, although it's my mom and dad's dog. And it's a little Cocker Spaniel. I don't have a... Picture or anything, but uh, it's this cute little cocker spaniel that I got in college, and we had its 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 tail kind of cut off. You know what I mean? It's like a little nub. I call it a nubbin. You know, so it has this little nubbin tail, right? And so it wags and it does this. And and my dog, uh, I learned early on, liked to chase its tail. Any of you guys have dogs that chase their own tail? Okay, a few of you maybe. If you ever seen a dog a dog chase its own chase its own tail and not be able to get it, it's Somewhat humorous and in, and I guess, kind of a mean-spirited way. But he would do this. He would just chase that nubbin. He would go round and around and around and around and around. And it was futility, but he would kept doing it and he kept doing it. And Solomon says, if you pursue the idol of pleasure, that's what it's like. You're chasing your nubbin. You're never going to find it. So that's his shocking conclusion. What were some of the details involved here? Let's go through these rather quickly. Look at verse 3 with me. Uh, four things, four Uh, idols of pleasure, if you will, four avenues of pleasure that he pursued. Number one, uh, I call it indulgence. Uh, Verse three, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. The New American Standard I like a little better. It says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body. How to stimulate my body with wine. And so the emphasis here is, is that he used wine to indulge, to try to make his body Feel good, and he embraced folly, an Old Testament word which essentially means foolish, foolish, and uncontrolled behavior. so think in your mind, college frat, party that 's enough so that 's what he tried that kind of a lifestyle right wine, folly, uncontrolled behavior that 's what he says i 'm going to try indulgence right, and he says that didn 't really do it for me, so let me ask you a few questions here. Uh, these again are questions to help us consider the possibility that we might be caught up in the idol of pleasure, particular, uh, particularly indulgence. Let me ask you a few questions here. I'll give you just a quick minute to think about it. What if you could just experience or experience more of what, what if you could experience or experience more of would make you satisfied, would make you content? What feeling or what experience do you have trouble saying no to? If you could just have a little bit more. If you could just experience this, it would make you happy. What do you have trouble saying no to? Food, dessert, lounging on the couch, the buzz of alcohol. What is it for you? that might identify an idol of indulgence in your life. So he tries indulgence. Verses 4 through 6, he tries what I would call achievement. Notice the verbs here. The verbs point us towards what the pleasure is. Number one, it talked about he stimulated his body, indulgence. Number two, he tried achievement. Look at the verbs in verses 4 through 6. I built. I made. He did things with his hands. He achieved things and he lists in verses 4 through 6 all sorts of things all sorts of projects that he undertook houses he built a house for himself vineyards gardens parks all kinds of different things he says i made reservoirs to water flourishing trees and so all of these projects that he went through to achieve We see from the Bible that the temple, which Solomon completed, took 153,000 workers and it took them seven years to build God's house, the temple. But compared to Solomon's house, guess how long it took him to build his house? Thirteen years. Thirteen-year building project on your house. That's nice. That's like really nice. And so he sought after achievement. And so what about you? Let me ask you this. What goal... Or what dream, if you could realize it, if you could achieve it, do you think would make you content? What goal or dream, if you just got it, would make you feel content? Maybe expanding your business, maybe upgrading your house. There's all sorts of things. What kind of achievement might you be harboring? Number three, he says not only indulgence, not only achievement, but possessions. Notice the repetition in verses seven and eight. I bought... I owned, I amassed, I acquired. Those are verbs of possessions, are they not? I'm getting stuff. And uh, at the end, I mean, in verses 7 and 8, all sorts of things that he amassed, right? Slaves, herds, flocks, silver, gold, treasures of kings. Male and female singers, entertainment, and of course, uh, sensual entertainment. A harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. Uh, the Bible tells us that he had a harem for his sensual desires to the tune of 700 wives. Let that sink in. 700 wives. And as if that were not enough, 300 concubines. As if 700 somehow wouldn't satisfy him. Um, he went after possessions. So what about us? What about you? What is it that you feel like you can never have too much of? You can never have too much. What do you feel like you never have enough of? Too much? Never have enough. Clothes? Tools, guys? Electronics, maybe? Some kind of a sensual or romantic experience? What is it that you feel like you can never have enough of? Solomon went after indulgence, achievements, possessions, and then finally he caps it off with prestige. Verse 9, verse 9, I became greater by far, greater by far, I became than anyone in Jerusalem that came before me. And so he sought after finally the prestige that came along with being a great king. So what about us? How would you fill in this blank? If I was just known for blank, If I was just known in my family, at my workplace, with my friends, at my church, if I was just known for this, then I would be satisfied. Then I would be content. Maybe the best employee. Maybe having popular kids or athletic children. Maybe being the best homemaker. If you were just thought of by others as this, then you would be satisfied. And so we see the pursuit of the idol of pleasure in Solomon's grand experiment. You have to be a king to do this kind of experiment. And yet in our culture, let me bring it down to our culture, don't we try to do these experiments ourselves? I mean, doesn't our culture say, if you try this kind of experiment, maybe not to the same degree, but if you try it, if you try the idol of pleasure, you're going to be happy? I want to read you some statistics that uh, Mark Driscoll shared once that suggest that our culture at large is um, full of the idol of pleasure. Let me just read a few few of these stats. Number one, more people each year in this country declare bankruptcy than graduate from college. Number two, there are twice as many malls in our country as there are high schools. Think about that. Twice as many malls as there are high schools. And interesting statistic about malls, Of any number of people in the mall at any particular time, only 25% of the people who are in the mall right now as we speak, only 25% of those people came into the mall knowing that they were going to buy something, wanting, intending to buy something. What does that tell you? 75% of the people are pursuing the idol of possessions. They're shopping, they're looking, they're dreaming. And there's nothing wrong with shopping, not hating here. But that's interesting, isn't it? 75% of the people walk into the mall not knowing, having a particular object in mind. Uh, Let's see. The average American has $8,000 in debt on their credit card. The average American spends more, this one is interesting, the average American spends more for shoes, jewelry, and watches than higher education during the course of their lifetime. Interesting priority over the last 20 years. And this one is so true over the last 20 years. The number of things that are in the average su- Supermarket has grown by what percentage want to take a guess? What percentage has the average amount of items in a supermarket grown by stab? How? many years? How? How many years? No, not how many years the question is this uh The average amount of items found in a supermarket has grown exponentially. I'll just tell you, 250% by 250%. Basically, what that means is that we have more options when we shop. So any of you ever go to the grocery store? I go to the grocery store with my wife, and she's like, go get spaghetti. And I'm like, okay. And then she's like, get ragu spaghetti. Okay. Get light and hearty spaghetti. Okay. Get decaf spaghetti or whatever it is. There's like four or five options. You know, I'm like, can or pack it. Can. Okay. Right. You know what I mean? Like the options in the mall in the grocery store are just crazy. That's because we love to to buy and to have. Another one. The average American in this country, adult American excuse me, the average parent in this country spends six hours a week shopping, forty minutes a week playing with their kids. And finally, we drop $32 billion, with a B, $32 billion a year on adult entertainment. $32 billion a year is spent in our country on adult entertainment. More, and this is the kicker. More than pro basketball, baseball, and football combined. It's our national pastime, apparently. We don't have physical harems, but we have mental harems in our country. So do you think that in our culture and in Sisna Park and in my life and your life that we might struggle with the idol of pleasure? I would suggest that we do. So we're going to wrap up here. What do we do about this? What do we do about this? What we've seen is this. Solomon has tried this grand experiment and he said, it's, it's futility. It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy. We have to wait till the end of the book to hear his conclusion. So flip with me to chapter 12, chapter 12 in Ecclesiastes, it should be on the screen, page 546, he wraps up his book, and it's a book, if you ever read Ecclesiastes, it's downright depressing, like if you weren't depressed before, you're going to be depressed afterwards, <laughs> because the first 11 chapters, he's like, everything is useless, vanity, and, and, and from a limited perspective, outside of a relationship with God, outside of pursuing God and knowing God, that's right, he's right. Everything is useless. It doesn't satisfy. But then he goes, and the very last part of of his book, he nails it. He says, This is the prescription. This is what we should do. This is what life is all about. Not all of those things that I considered I considered vanity. Verse nine. Let's read it together. Verse nine. Actually, let's just read thirteen and fourteen. We'll skip a little bit. Thirteen and fourteen. Now all has been heard. That is, everything's been said. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. So this is it. This is what we need to do. Here's the conclusion, right? Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. There it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of Of all mankind, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so he wraps up this pursuit of pleasure and in all of his vanity of vanities, and he basically says this: He says, glorifying God through obeying God is what we were made for. We were made to glorify God. We were made to know God. We were made to be obedient to him. And that is the duty of man. That's the whole duty of man. That's what we were made to do. That's what gives us lasting pleasure. And so number one, a couple application points. Number one, the prescription to the idol of pleasure, number one, is not is not to suppress pleasure. It's not to suppress pleasure, but or the pursuit of it, but to find superior pleasure in God. It's to find superior pleasure in God. That is, find God most satisfying. Find God to be most fulfilling. That is essentially what he says. Obey God, glorify God. That is what we were made for. And this is interesting, because he doesn't necessarily say that pleasure is wrong. I mean, if you go back and look through the list of these things, what Solomon tried was not necessarily wrong. I mean, slaves and harems, yeah, okay, that's sinful. But the things that he pursued, I mean, look look over them again. The, the things that he pursued, building projects, wine, uh, vineyards, uh, building houses, being served, amassing silver, having possessions, sex, all of the things essentially at the root that he pursued were not wrong. They were just Wrongly pursued. They were his idols. They were what he was living for. Yes, he turned them into sin, for sure. But the prescription is not to suppress pleasure, but rather to find superior pleasure in God. Pastor Mark Driscoll, very insightful. He says this. He says, if you are absolutely consistent, committed, if you are an absolutely consistent committed, hedonist, which means you want pleasure, that wants nothing but pleasure and joy and satisfaction, you will continue moving forward until you meet God. Until you meet God. Pleasure comes from God. God doesn't just give us pleasure. This is the, this is the trick. God doesn't just give us pleasure. God is our pleasure. There's a difference. God is our pleasure. Let me point you towards a couple of Psalms. Psalm 1611, we see this. You fill me, the psalmist says, you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 368, they feast, they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your rivers of delight. All throughout the scripture, what we see is that we were made to know God, to obey God, to glorify God, and that is what satisfaction is found in. And we can only ultimately enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. We can only enjoy pleasures rightly when we're rightly related to God. So consider this example with me, and we'll wrap up. Consider this example with me. We can only rightly enjoy pleasure when we are delighting first in God. Because when we don't delight first in God, then his gifts, those pleasures become our idols. So by way of illustration, let's say there's a father, and he gives his son several gifts and he wants his son to enjoy these gifts very much so and so he gives him three gifts number 1 he gives him a baseball glove and a ball and the son gladly takes them with delight number 2 he gives him a fishing pole and some lures and he the son is thrilled to death that he can play baseball and he can go fishing number 3 he gives him some camping gear and the son is like we can go i can go camping this is wonderful and so the father bestows upon the son these wonderful gifts And the son delights in these gifts. But instead of taking those gifts and using them for the intention of furthering his relationship with his father, which is what the gifts were given for, so that the son can enjoy those things in light of enjoying his father, the son basically says, Thanks, Dad. I don't love you. I love baseball. Thanks, Dad. I don't love you. I love fishing. Thanks, Dad. I don't love you. I love camping. Bye-bye. And he leaves. And he tosses the ball, and he throws it against the wall, and it provides somewhat somewhat pleasure. But after a while, the ball doesn't come back. After a while, he's tired of throwing it up in the air. And so he goes into his uh, his fishing pole, and he fishes, and he might even catch a fish, and it's fun, and he enjoys it. But after a while, he's out there by himself. And he says, I'm going to quit fishing. And so then he takes his camping gear, and he goes, and he hikes in the mountains, and it's fun, and it's enjoyable, and it's pleasurable, it gives him momentary satisfaction, but... He's sitting there over an open campfire alone. And that, I would suggest, is how it is when we idolize the pleasures of life. We say, thanks God, I love that more than you. And we were intended to enjoy all of the good gifts that God gives us, as we see in First Timothy, with God, in relationship to God. And so we're meant to play ball with our dad. We're meant to go fishing with our dad. We're meant to go camping with our dad. You see what I'm trying to say? That's how it is with God. We delight in Him first and then we can enjoy and not idolize the things of life. And so in closing, for real, in closing, because I can say it multiple times, (laughs) for real, pleasure, the idol of pleasure, satisfaction. Are you looking for it? I'm looking for it. Have you found it? I mean, have you really found it? Or... Are you like the video suggested? Are you just kind of running from this to that just to feel it? Just to feel a bit of it? Does it never stay? I mean, does it never really stay? The video suggests, can it even be found? Do you want to know where on earth it can be found? Solomon said it can be found in God. Solomon said it can be found by obeying God and glorifying God. And Jesus, several years later, echoed that sentiment. In John 17, he says, Jesus says, this is eternal life and that just doesn't mean life forever, although it does mean that. What he means is this is what life is. This is eternal, good life. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, speaking of his Father, in Jesus Christ of himself whom you have sent. And so, all I can say is that when I was 16 years old, I had been searching and searching and searching and searching, and I had not found it. And I tried all sorts of stuff. And I came to realize that I was a sinner in need of grace. I came to realize that I was separated from God and that I m- was meant to know God and love him and obey him and enjoy him and be satisfied in him. And so I placed my faith in Jesus Christ when I was 15, maybe 16. And... Uh, Life changed. And while I wasn't like this super Christian immediately in my heart, I knew that I wasn't idolizing the baseball and I wasn't idolizing the camping gear and I wasn't idolizing whatever it was I said in my illustration before, the fishing pool. I wanted God and he was good to me. Have you had that experience? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ this morning? I pray that you would. And if you want to have conversations about that, if you want to know how to do that, how to place your faith in him, talk to one of your friends, talk to me, talk to Jay, and uh, we can help you with that. I want to close this, this morning with a prayer. It's, it's a joint prayer. I think it's up on the screen. Let's just read this together. Martin DeHaan uh, offers this prayer, and I think it's very fitting. So we're going to pray it. We're going to pray it together, and uh, then we're going to be dismissed. So let's let's pray this prayer together. Lord, help us see that our sighs of disappointment with the pleasures and things of this life are meant to bring us to you. You alone give eternal significance to everything we pursue. Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. See you next week.